to kind of look at the first half of the sin of Cain. We kind of dealt with the second half last week um, and mentioned the first part. Um, but I think it is good for us to look at this. It's, uh, it's always good to be reminded of how God wants to be worshipped. So let's read God's Word today. This is His Word and it is eternally true. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Let's ask God's help this morning. Father, we pray that you would help us see with spiritual eyes the good news of Jesus through the stories of Cain. We pray this in your good name. Amen. So Cain has a problem, and it is a worship problem, and it leads to the sins that we talked about last week. And this is often the case. Uh, We don't generally think of... So let me back up just a second. So the, the Ten Commandments... Summarized by Jesus, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. What he's doing is he's breaking the Ten Commandments into what we call two tables. First table is the first four commandments. And the second table is the last six commandments. The first four commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any idols or bow down to them. You shall not take the Lord your name, Lord your God in vain. Uh, You shall remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Those pertain mostly to God. That's God worship, God-oriented stuff that we sin against. And the second half of the Ten Commandments are people-oriented. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not lie, you shall not covet. When we think of sins, we almost always exclusively think of second table sins. Stuff we do against each other. That's largely what we talked about last week. But remember I said last week that it's often first table sins that lead to second table sins. I didn't use that language because we hadn't talked about the tables yet. But it's almost always a sin against God first that leads to something. And sometimes we can't really figure out where those things lie. But oftentimes we can. We can pinpoint a way in which you have rejected God, which has led you to whatever those sins are. Not all the time, but most of the time we can trace those sorts of things. And here it's very explicit. Cain brought his offering. He was rejected. He got angry. He got mad at his brother and he killed him. Started back here with offering and rejection of that offering. And it's very striking, but for Cain, 
and his offering, God had no regard. That the disregard of God didn't just come at the thing that was offered. God wasn't just saying, I have no regard for the grains you brought. God was saying, I have no regard for you or the stuff you did. That is a very different sort of thing than just saying, I don't like what you did. God is saying, I don't like you at this moment. Now, he gives Cain a a very big warning and an opportunity to come back, to repent. And Cain rejects that. And then again, after he's killed his brother, and he again calls out to God for some sort of mercy, God gives him mercy and again gives him a way back, and God... And Cain rejects it. And finally, um, in verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain rejected God. And that rejection seems pretty final by verse 16. Uh, But here in the early parts, mercy is offered and mercy is rejected. The thing about it, though, is that right worship of God is at the root of much of our problems today. Um, This has been, amongst the reformers, of prime importance. It was one of the main things they did, was reform worship. And what I mean by reform worship, I don't mean they added something to it and made it better. They mostly took off all the clutter and got down to the things that actually were commanded by God. And we don't know explicitly what was commanded by God to Adam and Eve and then passed down to their children. But it's clear that some sort of worship was given to them and supposed to be passed down because they were doing it. They were actually doing something. Now, what explicitly that was that they should have been doing, we don't know exactly. But it's clear they were supposed to be doing something, and they were doing something. Now, we don't also know explicitly why Cain's um, offering was rejected. It may have been it was offered, um, it was not the correct thing to be offered. But we do know it was definitely offered not in faith. So we know this explicitly from the New Testament In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Cain may have offered an improper thing, but we know he definitely offered it improperly. He did not have the requirement of faith for his sacrifice, for his offering. And that really is the root of things, that there are two pieces of worship that have to come together. One is the right stuff, and one is the right spirit. So worship of God is supposed to happen in spirit and in truth. You can't have one or the other. They have to be both. And when one is wrong, we get rebuked and we have to correct the issue. Now, the first way into true Christian worship is through the explicit understanding of who Jesus is, what he did, and how we are united by faith 
to God. If we don't start there, if we don't have at the base of it an understanding of the gospel, <laughs> he's having some problems today. He's been crying all morning. Um, if we don't have at the base of our understanding of worship a way to get right with God through Jesus, there is no point in doing anything else that resembles worship. There's just no point. You could sit in a pew, you could sing the songs, you could say the prayers, you could walk away, you could do this, you could do that, you could go to a high liturgy church with all kinds of different things you're supposed to do and say, and if you don't have at the base of it an understanding of how you get into the throne room of God through Jesus, it is completely worthless. You might as well just not come. And that's really the base message of Cain here. If Cain was not going to offer the thing rightly, he might as well not have offered it at all. We see a similar sort of thing in Saul, um, the first king of Israel. It's a very, very similar um, story. And there's two parts of it. There's the part where Saul offers an unlawful sacrifice and then there's part where he's supposed to withhold, he's, not, he's supposed to kill everything and he withholds some of the stuff. So in 1 Samuel 13, um, Saul waited the seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. This is 1 Samuel 13, 8. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not, has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. So then a couple chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, uh, Saul is commanded to destroy everything from um, the Amalekites. And when he doesn't, Samuel says to him, this is 1 Samuel 15, 17, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission. And said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Just the... You didn't obey. I have obeyed. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, 
took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. We tend to think that anything we do that we think God might be pleased with is acceptable worship. Anything we do should be fine with God. After all, we're offering it to him freely. And yet God does not accept all things. He says, obey. Do what I tell you. That's what acceptable sacrifice is. That's what acceptable offering is. That's what acceptable worship is. And so the beginning of that is to obey the command, repent and believe, so that you might be saved. That's the beginning. If you don't obey that command, you have not even succeeded in the base worship of God and exalting his son as your savior. But then furthermore, God has given us many things in things like corporate worship um, that he has explicitly told us to do. Um, This principle of worship, of corporate worship, is called the regulative principle. It's regulated by the word of God. Um, And so we believe that what God has told us to do are the only things that he wants us to do. And that we're not supposed to do anything else. And so in the New Testament, in the church age, after the, the priesthood has been done away with by Jesus through his sacrifice, which is the entryway into the final form of worship of the church, we're given a few basic things. So we're given prayer, preaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, baptism, giving of tithes and offerings. That's pretty much it. Uh, And so if you think about what our church does on a Sunday morning, that's what we do. And there's lots of variety within that. So um, I've been playing guitar in the last few months. There's there's no regulations. Uh, that's not quite true. There are few regulations on the how of how we accomplish these things. There are regulations on you shall not add to these things. But much of the church spends its time thinking of things that are outside those parameters that they think are more flashy, more better, eat the, the better way to show that they're worshiping God. And so you have everything from, uh, you know, incense and uh, atmosphere added, right? So this can be like Roman Catholicism, incense, or, or Anglican incense and candlelight and darkness, or newer stuff, seeker-sensitive stuff, where you darken the seating area and you have the smoke machine and you, you try to create this mood or atmosphere of the church, as though we are going to somehow create worship. Like we, we don't get to determine or make people in a worship mood. That is determined individually, right? So Cain wouldn't have been helped 
by watching his brother do things somberly. He didn't have a right spirit to begin with. And no amount of atmosphere would have helped him. And so we make the mistake of thinking we're actually helping worship when we add to it something. Um, Other ways we might add to it, which depending on your take on things, will either sound absurd or not sound absurd, but either way they are outside the bounds of what God has said belonged to him on Sunday mornings, on on his Lord's Lord's Day worship, corporate worship. Um, Several years ago, uh, probably about a decade ago, I guess at this point, uh, a a Presbyterian church in in New York had what they called... um, Oh... Forget the word they used. Dance. It was ballet on a Sunday morning, and we the people just watched it. Now, we're not here to debate the merits of ballet as a thing to be seen, done, or practiced. We are here to say, though, that nowhere in Scripture does it say, perform ballet for me, perform dance before me. As a way of worship. And you might point to David when he danced before the Lord. But he was the only one who did it and it was never commanded. It was never said, do this to worship me. And that's what we must be careful of. And also David did not do that in the New Testament time. Because he was dead by then. And so we have in our own time ways in which God has prescribed for us worship. And they're simple. Um, it's important for us to remember that because it's easy, it's easy to think that God would be pleased as long as we are doing something uh, out of a spirit of worship. But God is not pleased with anything we want to do. He's pleased with the things he has determined are good for us and for his glory. And that's important to remember too. We tend to think that we know what is best for us in regards to worship. We tend to think, I know what would make me best at worshiping. And I will do those things because I know me and I know what I know is best. And God has said, no, you don't. You rarely know what is good for you. I know, God says, I know what is actually good for you. And so I have commanded you to do certain things and to not do certain things. And that includes how you worship me. The point of those commands is our good. And it is our good in a few ways. One, it makes us very aware of our weaknesses. Because God's worship is simple. The things he has commanded us to do, the few things that I listed, are pretty simple things. They're not gaudy. They're not hard. They're not way up there lofty that nobody can accomplish them. Um, We were talking in Sunday school about this lie within lots of different religions, including parts of Christianity, that the exact phrases of words matter. That if I say this and not that, that I've done something wrong. Uh, Greg had seen, you may have seen it go by, a few months ago there was a 
a priest who was defrocked. What's it? I think it was in Indiana. Was it up in? I think it was in Indiana. Um, he'd been baptizing people for 40 years, but he had been saying the phrase, we baptize you instead of I baptize you. And so all the thousands of people he had baptized, none of their baptisms counted. And they had to be rebaptized because he said the wrong word. We don't believe that. We don't believe that the words have the power. We believe the simple thing has the power, and it frees us to do things in simplicity without worrying so much about the exactness of how we do it. This is why we have such variation in preaching. Uh, I don't preach like your last pastor, and he did not preach like the guy before him, and he didn't preach like the guy before him. There's variance. And so it makes us very humble because we know that we can't add to it. And, and then underneath that, it makes us very reliant on the Spirit's help to have a pure heart. To actually come to worship wanting to please God. And that's really where most of our sins lie. Um, most of us, even in the American evangelical church that doesn't really think about liturgy at all and doesn't think about what the things are that we do, we generally still all do the same things. Uh, we pray, we preach, we give, we sing. That all happens in almost every church, whether they're really thinking about it or not thinking about it at all. But what lacks in, in every church is the desire to have a heart motivated to worship God on a Sunday morning. When Cain gave his sacrifice... It may have been a proper thing to do. There's nothing explicitly in Genesis 4 that says he gave the wrong thing on the wrong time. Because later on, when the law is instituted, there are grain offerings. And they are perfectly good offerings. They're offered at various times of the year. Uh, you have first fruit and last fruit. You have uh, grain can be an acceptable uh, um, alternate to certain sorts of sacrifices for people if they're very poor. So it's not necessarily that he gave the fruits of the field and that was wrong. Some people make a big thing about it saying, and Abel also gave of the first, of, or of the, what does it say? Of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. Again, later on in the law, it doesn't say... there. There are different grain offerings that are not the first grains of the field. And so it's not necessarily that Cain gave the improper thing at the improper time. What was going on was Cain did not have a heart to worship the Lord in his offering. And so we might be the most pure church in practice. We're not because I'm up here and I'm definitely not pure. But... Let's say we are. Let's say we're the perfect keeper of exactly what pleases God in worship. Every Sunday, just we just tick all the boxes. It is immaculate worship. If we do not come to God with right hearts, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. And this is the message that is replete through the Old Testament especially after the law comes, and especially after the kingdom of Israel is established, the people are constantly told things like, 
Do you think I delight in burnt offerings? Over and over the prophets say things like this. And yet we're told in other places, he does delight in burnt offerings. It's a pleasing aroma to him. And so is God speaking double? Does he have two minds? No. What he's talking about is something below the surface. Something that is much more difficult to discern. That for us, it's almost impossible. What is your heart on a Sunday morning when you gather for worship? Is it pure? Is it actually motivated to give praise to the God of all heaven and earth for the salvation that he brought us in his son Jesus Christ? Or have you thought absolutely not at all about it? That it literally was, oh, it's Sunday, I better get ready because church is about to start. Or was it even worse than that? (sighs) It's Sunday, I better get ready, church is about to start. These are the things that I cannot see and most of us cannot see, but you know. And I know when I do it. One of the things that I'm very glad that my parents did for us is I'm sure there were bad Sunday mornings. I'm sure it happened. I'm sure there, well, I know specifically a few of them that I caused directly. But most of the memories I have of Sundays are a desire to be at church to worship. And it wasn't ever explicitly said. It's not like my dad got us up on Sunday mornings and said, now Joe and Justin and Amy and Anna, Sunday morning, Get your heart together. He just exhibited it because he actually, and my mom, actually liked to go worship. They actually liked it. And so that poured over. One of the things that I've begun implementing in my own family, right, so now I have children, is my dad, who was not a cook, cooked pancakes for us every Sunday in my growing up years. I mean, that's just what he did. He would get up, he has a cast iron skillet, he's got his pancake recipe and he would make us pancakes every Sunday and it was like just this start to a day that's different my dad did not cook other foods he cooked pancakes on Sunday mornings it was like a just a mark this day's different it's better I'm doing something I don't normally do and so we we have pancakes most Sundays in my house because it's a tradition that I grew up with that just set it apart It's something different, something unique, something special. And it set the tone. And that's really the thing, that there is a a timbre, a tenor, a, a, a note hit on Sunday mornings that we have to aim for with our hearts. Romans 6 says that obedience is supposed to flow from the heart. That it's good that we come and sing. It's good that we come and pray. It's good that we come and hear preaching. It's good that we come and give. Only if it's from the heart. Because obedience without a heart, God despises. And he has no regard for it. Think about Cain, right? So going back, Cain does a thing. There's no evidence that what he did was explicitly wrong. And John Calvin, to be very blunt, says you're stupid if you think so. That's literally a quote. John Calvin said it. I didn't say it. 
Cain did an offering without a heart. Without a heart. We know definitely he didn't because Hebrews 11 says it. Abel's sacrifice was better because he did it in faith. He had a heart. A heart. Cain didn't. And when God says to him, Why are you angry that I didn't accept your sacrifice and I didn't accept you? You know what would please me. You know what I desire. Do that. I will be pleased with you. I will accept you and your sacrifice. But instead, Cain just gets more angry. This is the dividing point. This is actually the point at which we begin to divide who is of faith and who is is not of faith. It is the point at which God says to you, Why are you getting upset when I'm telling you you're wrong here? Don't get angry. Don't get angry when I say you're wrong. I'm God. Just obey me with a pure heart. That's all we're after here. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I want you to obey with a pure heart. I want you to. And we can either be like Cain and just get mad that God would say we're doing wrong things. Well, that's not right. God shouldn't say that sort of thing about me. Or when we read his word and he convicts us of sin, we become humble, contrite, repenting, trusting, hoping in the Savior who saves us and saying, yeah, you know what? I was unaware of that and how it is offensive to my God. There are provisions in the Old Testament law of something that we tend not to think of. We think we're always aware of our sins. That we're just the perfect keeper of our own sins. That we know what we've done and we know where it's wrong. But the reality is, we're not very good keepers of our sins. We rarely see them in very good light. Because we're us. We're blind to our sins. And so one of the things in the law that's very interesting is that if you've It's a paraphrase, but if you've went and made your sacrifice for sin, and on the way back from your sacrifice, someone makes you aware of another sin, implying you'd forgotten it, you hadn't realized it, you hadn't noticed, then you're supposed to turn around and go back and make another sacrifice. That's the Christian life. That is what Cain was supposed to do. Cain was not supposed to get mad that God had said he was wrong. Cain was supposed to say, you're right, you're right. That was not good. And so this morning, the question for us is Sunday's coming. Do we have pure hearts? Are we glad to gather in God's presence? Are we glad to offer up songs and spiritual songs and hymns? Are we glad to pray? Are we glad to confess? Are we glad to hear? Are we glad to fellowship? Are we looking forward to it? Do we have a heart motivated to give praise to our Savior? Or are we dry? 
or worse? The answer is oftentimes we are quite dry. And sometimes we are quite worse. We need, we need the Spirit's help. Be humble this morning and admit to God, I don't come with a pure heart very often. I need help to come. And God, who is a kind giver of good things, will help you. That's the message of the gospel. It's not, you've never sinned and have nothing to confess. It's, I have all kinds of things to confess, and so many of them I'm not even aware of. I need help to even know how bad I am. That's the gospel. That's where God meets you. That's where God wants you. That's where he wants you on Sunday mornings and all through the week, but especially as we gather as a body. Because if we gather, and some of us think we're the perfect keeper of all things, that will divide the body. It will divide the body. And if others of us think that that person is the great keeper and I'm the the awful one and I have nothing to add, that divides the body. All of us, together as one body, are the way in which God is glorified together on Sunday mornings. So be humble. Be rebukable. Be not angry when God speaks to you and says, Why are you angry? If you do good, don't you know that I will be pleased with you? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Come to Christ in humility. You will find grace and help in, in this and in all other things. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to pray and then we will 